Airing from the No Sponsorship Studios, this is Buddy Walk with Jesus, where real life and the kingdom of God connect. Now, your hosts, Joe and Edgar. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, to feel you in the everyday, to know you in the everyday to look for you in the everyday. Father God, I thank you that you make yourself known to those who pursue you. And we ask that you would make us pursuers, not only that you would make us hungry pursuers, that we'd be able to come after you with the desire to be filled, knowing that in that filling, we will require more filling. Father, let us not get satiated to the point of, we don't want any more of you. Father, let us always be hungry for you. Father, protect us from the enemy who would tell us we've had enough for today. We've had enough for this hour. We've had enough for this moment. But that we would go on to the next moment in our lives, knowing that we are looking for you. Father, give us that ever pursuit in our hearts for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, what is up? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and that you are loved deeply. For all the links for all the things, you can check us out at buddywalkwithjesus.com, merch store, support the ministry, that sort of thing. And last but not least, by any means, if you are in need of prayer, do not hesitate to reach out. Prayer at buddywalkwithjesus.com. So this week, we're going to continue on our mini-series, Working Our Way Through the Trinity. And we are at part two of the Trinity. And I mean that in an episodic sense, not in a... Um, you know, hierarchy within the the Trinity sense. Um, when we... I found this fascinating thing occurred, getting ready to discuss who is Jesus. If you all want an interesting experiment, type who is Jesus, question mark, into your Google machine. Um, don't use Google, use a different web browser, but search it and just scroll through and take a look at how many different people have weighed in and how many different groups and how many different organizations and et cetera, et cetera, have written, argu- uh, have written articles, have weighed in on this whole thing of who is Jesus. It's, it's so wonderfully simplistic but beautifully complex all at the same time to try and lay out in a 35 45 minute episode of a podcast explaining who the person of jesus is um jesus is the quagmire that breaks all these other religions Jesus is, as we all know, the Son of God. Jesus is our brother, family. Jesus is a friend. 
there's so many different things that you can fill that in with. And what I want to do is touch on a couple of specific points um, in covering this because, you know, in in really assessing what I what I want to what I wanted to convey in this episode, what I wanted to convey was who is Jesus in our everyday life? What is what is the impact of knowing Jesus? What is that impact on our lives? Is there an impact? Just taking honest inventory, does that affect your everyday life? It should, but it doesn't always. I do want to make honorable mention before we get too far into the everyday life. One of the biggest things about Jesus that uh, has been, I've heard the most fiercely debated is when Jesus, I'm going to say, got involved. You know, some people 100% do not believe in Christophanies in the uh, Old Testament. Some people believe that the angel of the Lord, specifically, that was Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, because that is important to take into consideration. Born of the Virgin Mary, all of that, like, what what we know. But preamble to all of that, from the way that I read cre- the creation account to the way that I read different interactions between the angel of the Lord, between God and and man, that we can some, sometimes get lost in the minutia of trying to separate out the Trinity. So let me let me resummarize. Let me let me reset. That's a good question. Let me put it, put that in context because I have a feeling the same thing wasn't conveyed to the to the listener. I think we fall. I think as humans we fall into a trap. I think it's the same trap that has us beholden to different denominations, things like that, where we overcomplicate the dissection of the Trinity. I think some uh, part of it is in an effort to try and understand it, but I think a lot of times it's it, it, it ends up in the result of a whole lot of man-made stuff thrown into trying to define who Jesus is and who was present and what situation and things like that. And we end up overdoing our part, if that makes sense. You know, we get over-involved rather than taking in the situation. We sit there and split every single hairs to the point where we end up with something that's unrecognizable. I think one of the things that causes an issue, and I shouldn't say issue, but can cause a an overthinking is the hierarchy. If God is triune, you know, God the Father, you know, he's he's a, the big man. Jesus answers to him. Holy Spirit answers to both of them. So it's kind of like this. Some people will have a perception of a hierarchy, which is not necessarily the correct picture. Um, they're distinctive persons. And when we look at Old Testament, um, sometimes 
it's something that we are learning from a pulpit. So it's somebody else's interpretation. If we carefully, and many people read the Bible throughout the year, they'd go in that Bible plan. And there are plenty of times when you come into the Old Testament, um, in the first five book of Moses, it happens, where you meet, like Moses met God in the burning bush, you know, the angel of the Lord. So there's this, this whole idea of two, two persons that are preeminent. In Jewish, ancient Hebrew um, tradition, there was a, the two powers, which was a way of saying, you know, the angel of the Lord was God and God was God. Um, but when Jesus came along, that kind of certified him as being God. So that was something that stopped being taught. But when we come in, what are we looking at? And, and a lot of times we, we come in with a paradigm. The pyramid with God the Father on top, Jesus is usually on the left bottom, and the Holy Spirit's on the right bottom. But we never think of it, you know, like a circle or, or, or you know, the equality. The, you know, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the, the Lord says that, he is one and when we look at john 17 jesus's priestly prayer is about the church the followers being one as he and god are one so when we think of one does it come into the trinity a lot of times we we compartmentalize as three individuals and that's not what is being taught and but they're very distinct persons of the trinity and again this is something that's like not our normal way of thinking kind of thoughts um you know i've heard people discuss it being a hyperstatic union um and then they go into you know god's multi-dimensional and and everything and so therefore you can't relate to him as you are three-dimensional the way a two-dimensional object would not be able to relate to three-dimensional so this is this is basically saying there's a big thing that's going on so god is this i don't want to say thing but this big big concept i, I can't give a word that is very much it but at the same point that he is one he is distinct in three persons and there are times where people feel more drawn to one than the other. You know, Jesus as Redeemer will allow me to um, be forgiven of sins. Holy Spirit comforts me, but I'm scared of God the Father. So what am I supposed to do with that? You know, I know that the whole idea of sin in his presence is horrible. And you can be destroyed for that. You know, so I have this fear of God the Father. And how do you make that determination? And there are things in Scripture, and we're going to probably get to it later on, that says, who is God? And we're going to focus on Jesus. And we've already done God the Father. But who, who are these persons that God identifies himself as, even though he's one? You know, when we looked in the Old Testament, 
there's one that reminds me of um, Gideon. And the two powers were there, you know, God, the presence, I am not sure what best way to describe it, and the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord ate and left, but God, the presence was still there. So what does that mean? As a person reads, they'll get things out of it. What I get out of it is that God's presence is still there. You know, even when we think he's gone, he's still there. And there's a calling that God has for every human being, and that's to be drawn to him and to eventually become one with him. Um, that was part of the priestly prayer. So do we approach God in a way that causes us to stop? Um, sometimes I think the biggest problem we have is taking something at face value in scripture. When it says that Jesus, excuse me, when it says in the Old Testament that God appeared and he ate with Abraham, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means that he ate with Abraham. He had communion. He talked with him. He fellowshiped with him. He told Abraham what was going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, Gideon prepared food. So there can be a, t a sense of over-spiritualizing the thing. Don't get me wrong. There was plenty of worship and fear of the Lord in those moments. And nobody was, um, not flippant, uh, I can't think of the word, but no one treated it as a nothing event. Um, there was even a couple, and I can't remember who it was, that I think they were Samson, it was Samson's parents, where the Lord came and they revered him. Um, that's probably one of the most important things, to be in God's presence and to be reverential, to have respect. Because that allows us to receive what God is going to impart to us. He's there for a reason. He's going to be there not to bestow our wishes, but to reveal himself. And how can he reveal himself to someone who's prideful, someone who's irreverent? So Holy Spirit, Jesus and God the Father are all about relationship, not only with each other, but with us. One common thread that I have found with this particular, and you even touched on parts of it with what you were saying, you know, there are aspects of this that we know very well because God has shown, has shared them with us. There are other parts of this that we don't understand, nor will we ever. And that's not good enough for some humans. That's not good enough for some groups. I've seen this um, in, in several different groups, in several different situations, in several different typings where we don't understand a thing. And in our pride, we don't want to accept that. And so we start to fill in the blanks. We start to make inferences. This is where certain types of typology come from. This is where certain types of prophecy 
come from. This is where certain types of mistranslations and misreadings and bad theology comes from. So, all of that shorthand that I went through in the beginning is the spot where we can summed up understand that the figure in which we are talking about Jesus the Christ is the Son of God that Jesus set about to do the Father's work that he was the only full and complete and sufficient sacrifice and that Part of it we need to keep included otherwise if we don't recognize that that's base that's home base that's where you start the conversation at with jesus if you remove that preamble then suddenly you're left with a very um superior moral character a good teacher you know, something along those lines. A good person, that sort of thing. I'm sorry. It, it's interesting because you be, you make Jesus into this... I'll use the word interesting, even though I just used it. Interesting hybrid. He's no longer God-man. He's more man and less God because we've made him a teacher. We've made him um, something that we can grasp and it's this weird thing to make him more approachable we make him more i want to say distant meaning he's no longer god and can no longer do the things that he would as god man and what do i mean by that that means when he judged he can no longer do it that way he would do it as a friend might judge or someone who doesn't have the standing to say right and wrong. Um, I've known many people, and this is just Christian period. It's just part of growth, usually, where they, they go through a presence. And, and I think what you said is spot on. Ideally, you start off with Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and why that is important as a foundation for you pursuing God, because he is the doorway. He is the way he is the truth he is the light he is the life so if this is true but i want to say put him in a way that my mind is willing to interact with him as a friend and you've seen this meme jesus is my homeboy this has been probably around eight years or so and it kind of tends to since jesus is my homeboy i can get away with thinking him as not creator of the universe. I won't even get to the whole hyper grace thing that that can allude to. But we we are, we are, what's that phrase? It's not bumping fists, but we are like on the same kind of wavelength, me and Jesus, because he's my homeboy. We're tight. We're tight. Yo, we're tight. So there's this kind of like, lowering God, lowering Jesus, so that we can have the expectation of connection to him. 
of identity to him. So we made him identify to us, which in essence is really recreating Jesus into our own image. And the way you began this is that we have to have this, this pure concept of who Jesus God is and what that means to us. And that's something we can never lose. And it is, like you said, foundational to building your own faith. One of the, I don't want to say pitfalls, but one of the things that comes along with Christianity as it is displayed in America is that you get from other people and you acquire that. Now, if you're reading your Bible, you're able to sift through what's being taught to you to decide, and this is going to be a fair amount of Bible reading. It's not just, oh, I read a chapter and I can discern everything. It's going to be a fair amount, but you start to see where things disconnect from what the Bible says. And you're able to see what I was holding on to wasn't a truer picture. And what I'm going for is really so different than what I've been taught. It's going to change my mind, my way of thinking. So there's a big difference when you have the scriptures and you're looking at that and you're taking that and applying it to what you're learning from other people to see if it's accurate what they're saying. Hopefully you're not doing it the other way around where you're disregarding what the Bible says because you put more weight on what another person says. That would lead to so many problems. Squaring that circle exists in the preamble like we talked about. Because when you read the Bible, when you go to the scriptures and you believe what it says, it gives you that formative foundational sort of thing. First uh, John uh, 1-2 says, the word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. I understand that we're, we are playing in a very, very highly contested pool by bringing in the whole idea of um, pre-existence the pre-existence of Jesus. But to me, I do not understand how it can be contested that there was a pre-existent Jesus. And I bring this up and I bring up the Old Testament stuff to say that I think that sometimes, even if it's subconscious, we fall into this trap of thinking that Jesus didn't exist before incarnate Jesus before Jesus in the flesh and blood, that it, that was the point where Jesus started existing. And understanding that connection, at least on the fundamental level, at least on the level in which you can read the Bible and see the through line from past to present to future of the character of God, that that rocks your foundation in the best possible way because then let's extrapolate that out right you have you have the son of god we cannot fully understand it but god for the first time since eden 
walking with his creation. You know, this so this comes back to um, this whole idea of, you know, understanding Jesus's placement in everything, understanding Jesus's relationship to the Father, and ultimately understanding Jesus's relationship to us dictates how exactly we process how we are called to be as as Christians. There are tons of really great pieces that have been produced about breaking down all of the theological references to Jesus in the Old Testament, outlining every single connection point throughout scripture between God the Father and Jesus. All of that, yes. Fast forwarding to those of us that are in 2021 Earth, doesn't matter if it's America or elsewhere, we we operate in this world. We operate in a time where there's so many different voices in who is Jesus, who is the person of Jesus, that we need to make sure you know, yes, we can focus and we can call out and all of those kinds of things. And we have called out. Look, look to some of our previous episodes. The key to understanding the what's and the why's of Jesus points back to the last episode that we did. Understanding the characteristics of God. Understanding characteristics of God the Father. Hopefully in a way that either initiates or encourages approaching God free of preconceptions, free of earthly titles that we that we want to put on him or want to put on Jesus or things like that. If we approach the Bible in a way that is free of us and we allow God to speak to us we can glean a whole lot about Jesus that we could never do justice to. So, so that's the orientation of this. You know, this is not, we are not going to be the show that gives you guys a beat for beat history lesson on Jesus, the person of Jesus. But what we will do is point back to the very foundation of how we can even come to understand who Jesus is or have a relationship with him. How we can come to this point of banging on the drum of intimacy to, to just not letting up about talking about the kingdom, not letting up about talking about things like relationship. How can we have a relationship with the deity? with something that is holy how can we have that relationship because of love because of grace because of mercy because of the sacrifice that was made on our behalf that is the entry point so when you ask who is jesus jesus is not a prophet jesus is not a good teacher jesus is not just a good man Jesus is all of those things and so much more. Jesus is the Son of God, the perfect sacrifice. And 
And that's the beauty, right? That's the beauty of our relationship with God. The beauty lies in the fact that we can look to Scripture. We can look to the constant, unchanging character of God. So while the relationship between the Trinity is something that we will never actually understand, and that's a very good point to to raise that if anybody approaches you saying that they have any of that figured out, um, may, may, maybe walk the other direction. Maybe don't, maybe don't take, don't, don't take that in. You know what I mean? That, that really does start to hedge on anytime that you have been given the inside scoop on anything that the Bible doesn't be very careful about people who, who overextend how much is actually knowable about that relationship. But at the same token, it's something that we've been given an inside look into. Yeah, let me let me jump on that for a second, if you don't mind. Um, yep. And it, going back to my, uh, it happens to really be one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, it's John 17, because it's it's called the priestly prayer, which I don't really like. This is really the Lord's prayer. This is not him as a priest, because I think it minimizes. It's him talking to God about their oneness and how he wants to see the church also hold the oneness. In verse five, and reading it out of the NLT, he says, now father, bring me into you, into the glory we shared before the world began. This is pre-existence of the incarnate Christ. And sometimes we don't get to think on a lot what we're reading, what it means, and be able to actually sit and reflect on it. Some people will say, imagine what is being said or are taking it in. But here we have a lot of information placed into this verse. Now, we know that the Father does not share his glory. But in this verse, we see that now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. So there is that triuneness there. There is the glory, and there is also the time before the world began that's going on in this one verse. And so we see that Jesus and the Father we're in deep, deep, deep relationship. There are some people that believe Jesus is just a higher angel. That is not my belief. And I do not align with that at all. Here we see, because God does not share his glory, that Jesus is glorified before the world began. Okay, and if you get into the verses, it does speak about glory a lot. So there is this connection of the Father and the Son talking back and forth, and you're almost like eavesdropping on what's going on between them. And the whole essence of this, even though Jesus was in a time reference on earth, here's an eternal speaking dialogue going on that references back to before the beginning of time. And you get a sense of the unity. 
which is also their love relationship with each other. Yes, the Father loves the Son. Yes, the Son loves the Father. Yes, the Holy Spirit is in that mix as well, equally in there. So here we have something that is very important. So what does that mean to us? If Jesus is God and he is pre-existent before the world began, now he's on earth. What is he doing on earth? Well, we start to get an idea of who Jesus, the God-man, is doing on earth. And he's calling us to be one. And that one will actually be, um, that unity will actually be what he wants to see. There's in verse 20 that I think, and I've mentioned it before, Joe, this is where today's Christians are mentioned in the Bible. So if somebody says, you know, we're not mentioned in the Bible. Well, yeah, we are, but not the way you think. In verse 20, Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they all will be one. Just as you, and I'm going to put Father, and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now you see that Jesus just called those believers who will believe because the messages that the disciples will bring, he calls them into a oneness. And we know that in that oneness, there's a, a sharing of glory. So we'll be actually be able to see this wonderful glory that is God. You know, it's not our glory, but we'll be caught up in this wonderful I want to say event, and I'm really downplaying it by saying that, of who God is, the triuneness of God, and being swept in this wonderful vortex of God. As a married man, processing all of this has been very interesting because you, you see illustrated the relationship that's depicted in marriage that's what marriage is supposed to be the ultimate illustration of that and you think about what implications this should have on how you operate on how you operate with your wife on how you process this whole god thing all of that kind of stuff you know we are we are people that very much value the every single day right that's that's what this is that's that's what builds that muscle you know what i mean we became friends because of all of the days of talking hours on the phone we've grown in our relationships with god because of all of the days of working this thing out and all of that kind of stuff so we always are focused in this ministry on that sort of orientation that's why we don't fixate on historical as much as we do application so as married men you know i almost feel like there's a heightened level of expected understanding on us because of 
the road that we walk because of taking taking the vow that we that that we took etc etc you know what i mean being married puts you in a situation where you are called to live out your role within this example within this grand illustration and i don't mean to devalue if actually if anything that's not really devaluing marriage but those words can seem a little devaluing when said as as application to to the marriage covenant but for me a very realistic every single day example of this and reminder of this is when i interact with my wife when i think of think on the mar on on what what i am called into as being a husband and if anything that has helped me greater appreciate the relationship that i have with jesus you know and and that everyday aspect of it understanding that all of this we come to know god by interacting with god if you don't think god talks and let me ask you what are you doing to listen and i say that as somebody who for a very long time preached the gospel of selective communication what is that that is priests and holy men are the only people with god's private line the rest of us never mind you know what I mean? That was just very much the idea that I had of God. I thought of God as being very selective and who he communicated with until I realized after the fact, right? It took my whole, the whole road to the cross. It took my, my come to Jesus moment, etc. We're talking about, we're talking about post that reflecting on my, how I would process this whole God thing and understanding how little i actually wanted to hear from god i just wanted security i just wanted whatever could whatever i i could get as far as security that was good enough it wasn't that i wanted god it's that i wanted to feel good you know culturally we bring things with our cultures and I, this is what i'm getting at and by the way i like that rhyme you had um what was it um priests and the only ones who have god's line all the rest never mind <laughs> yeah yeah priests and holy men so um we have um in my own experience when i lived in illinois and i was young mind you probably 1920 thereabouts the culture was different you had very much a northwestern university caucasian culture mindset more affluent and never was this Puerto Rican from the projects who was doing everything on his own um, just to survive part of that cultural mindset. So there's this picture that they have it together. And it was when you were making the illusion about the priest and all that. So these guys have a better grasp of God and his ways and I did at that point um, so I but my thing is I put too much weight into that they're frail humans just like I am uh, even though they're more convinced of truths than I was where I knew where to where they knew where to plant a stake what hill to die on 
I kind of found a bunch of hills and was trying to determine which one first, <laughs> and which never made for a good theology. But um, there was in that of not having a solid foundation, you know, the, who is who is Jesus to me at that point? I don't think that question permeates that mindset that has not solidified enough to know that Jesus truly does exist as God. And I, 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 we can capture the abstract, don't get me wrong. But the, the life transforming who is Jesus, where it changes how I behave, it changes how I relate, it changes how I consume, that is a different, I want to say beast, that is a different way of living, that is a different paradigm, that is a different way of belief than having this, this, this paper-thin, abstract God, the Son. There's, you come from a position of more evidence through experience, evidence through your reading, evidence from being convinced of your own finiteness and God's infiniteness, that you are always, I want to say transforming, but that's not right. You're always getting rid of the things that are holding you back and pursuing the, the noble things, the pure things as Paul says. So there's a big difference when you start to contemplate who Jesus is. And and you alluded to this earlier. So there's some renowned men who have not done that question justice and have caused people to get sidetracked. But we know the eternal reward or the eternal seat of judgment for the believers is going to center around who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus? And will our lives say that we believed that? And unfortunately, we're being taught not to think too much on that question. Um, the deeper you go, and this is what I like what you said, um, and I'm going to butcher it really big. The, Part of Buddy Walk with Jesus is to really get into the intimacy with the Lord. And when you had been talking, uh, how did you put it? When you had been talking about, we don't go into the history, we're more of, and I'm just going to throw intimacy because it escapes me how you said it. But we're going more into the actual engaging with God for our change, for our transformation. We're, we're not going to be ended, you know, because God chose us for a reason, to indwell us. So that means he wants us. He just wants us fully corrupt, free, and yielded to him. And I, I put that in very generic terms. But we can't be held back by our past. We can't be held back by bitterness. We can't be held back by um, not being able to believe things. We have to come to the point to reach the fullness of that question requires us to let all these other things go. And everybody has given, been with a person who says, 
you know, but you don't understand how my life has been. When a person is like that, they're not able to grasp who Jesus is. And one of the things we know is he's the total redeemer and the freer of um, the captives. So who is Jesus to you? It's interesting that you bring that up because I was just thinking the other morning as I was listening, as I was walking about the city and stuff. And the first thing that popped into my head as, as, all of these lies are being levied about him. Uh, all of this injustice is happening. All of that kind of stuff. The first thing that my mind got caught up in was as humans, right? We have this sense of justice that if somebody wrongs us, that we... No, 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 no. Wait, hold up, God. No, no, no. Let me handle this. You know what I mean? But, but think about that for a second. I understand that that seems funny. But in the moment... That's that there's a version of that, that, that takes place a lot of times for humans because that's our, that, that, that's our, our natural, our natural instincts bucking up against the indwelling that is our relationship with God. And so I'm sitting here thinking to myself as a human with this, with all of my righteous indignation and my, my desire to make sure that the bad guy gets it in the end. And now I'm, I'm in the place of, no, no, your job is to stay and do this. And this is, you are, you, that this, this is what you have. You're, you're in a very human sense, your captors went out the day. And that's something that is really, it, it, for me, it puts, it puts it into perspective what happened on the cross and how unqualified as humans we are to step up to that plate that Jesus did and that it is only by grace, love and mercy that we've that that we've got something to hold on to. It's only by love outside of us, things that happen outside of us, that we can do this, that we can navigate this life. That we got a shot. And I'm... Still feels weird to say it like this. Um, I feel like I need to say this. I feel like, I feel like we've, we've gone through this whole thing and I feel like there's this need for us to get even more practical. If you are somebody who has experienced a version of... Mis the, the misrepresentation of Jesus. Maybe you were taught bad theology. Maybe you you were part of a particular group or this or that, whatever. Uh, that's that. However you got to this point, if you are asking questions like, how do I navigate who Jesus is? A, the first thing that I really, really want to convey is that the beauty of God is that God does not hold back from us. And I think sometimes that gets mystified, that that we need to say the right things, and maybe if we catch God in, at the right time, He'll He'll show us more of Himself and this and that. No, no. If you come earnestly seeking, guess what? You will find. That's that's gospel. And at that point, the gospel, like 
praying praying is is 1a coming in earnest reality to god i mean earnest i mean real we forget sometimes that that even when we don't want him to be god is there so so holding back from him is is only cutting our nose off to spread our face so so being in that point of okay god you know what this is it bam and this is this is what i got these are the questions that i got the beauty of god is that he does not hold back from us so we can come in that kind of relationship and have a level of expectation in return of how he will react to that because the bible says so gospel tells us god told us 1b i'm not going to call it two i guess 1b maybe some people will call it two whatever is jump into scripture if you want to hear god then understand how he operates if you want to hear his voice then learn to listen to his voice i think that's part of the process that we don't necessarily fully take into consideration that part of this whole listening thing isn't just sitting in a quiet room it's not just listening to your favorite christian artist or your favorite christian podcast which clearly is buddy walk with jesus but that's a whole other conversation it is sometimes engaging with the word of god one thing that caught my mind or caught my eye when i was first i still remember when i was first reading it with new eyes was that was understanding that god will meet us exactly where we're at that means that means something that means to, that you you mean to tell me that i don't need to perform up to a level of a certain expectation in order to be able to engage with you that's what that means that means that we don't have to as much as some groups of people will tell you otherwise don't we don't need to um have any kind of very specific action we don't need to it is not works-based we do things as a result of our relationship with god that's different so when we turn to scripture we can turn to it with the full confidence that we can believe it to be true that we can believe these things of god these characteristics that are present here now then forever yeah this this is really good and this what you were saying now goes back to the prayer from the beginning by the way that's not that spontaneous prayer always at the beginning but i talked about pursuers of god in that prayer now joe just mentioned pursuing god and you know there's a verse that always comes up to me when when someone talks on this topic and it's proverbs 25 2. it is the glory of god to conceal things but the glory of kings is to search things out so there's almost that wooing that god hides something so you can find it so you can pursue it this mystery that drives you into a deeper relationship with god and i like what you were saying it does require that you're active not passive right you have to be engaged in pursuing god and finding out the mysteries and god calls you into a particular glory the glory of kings so every man woman and child can partake in this if you have a question 
and you pursue it out in scripture and you ask people who are godly what is their understanding of this and you go back to scripture because we know that the Bereans took what Paul said and they checked scripture to see if what Paul said was right. right. So you can do it with anyone who who gives out godly, who speaks about the Bible, you know, and verify it against scripture. God likes that. The whole idea that he conceals something so that it can be found is throughout scripture. We see parables of it. We see that there's a mystery that God has hidden to the end of the of the days. So there is a whole concept of God putting things out. And you know what's funny? Um, we have a tradition in, in America called Easter eggs. I'm sure they're in other countries as well. But there's also something called Easter eggs in video games, in um, code. It's where you stumble upon something and it's not related to the story. And co correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my understanding of it. It's not related to the story, but it's like a good find. And everybody likes, oh, I wish I had found that Easter egg in, in whatever um, digital community they're in. And Easter eggs are a big thing. So the whole idea of finding something out that is hidden is desirable before God. Now, mind you, within the context of searching out godly things. So that's where we're going with this. You have who is Jesus. Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he asked, who do you say I am? And the response that people were giving was not the same response of those who were tightly connected to him. There were two layers. One was, I'm going to say political kind of spiritual world kind of thing. You know, they believe that he's a prophet, you know, but they believed his disciples believed he was the Messiah. So who is Jesus to you? You know, it goes back to what Joe said earlier, and, and I love it. This is foundational. This is this is the basis from which the rest of your faith will come out. Mm -hmm. You know, other religions have their spiritual figures that are all dead now. Christianity is the only one where the the figure is resurrected and alive in heaven. He is fully alive, but he's also engaging right now so what does that look like for the individual that's an individual question i'm not going to answer that because it's different for other people but i think the neat thing is you can find out based on scripture yeah and that's that's part of why you do an episode like this and it feels like you said everything and nothing all at the same time that it feels like there you went so far but went absolutely nowhere all at the same time because while this is while there are tons of things that you can point to that um either back the claim or state the evidence or explain or things like that all of those academic i'll call them aspects of this conversation 
at the same token, there is a level of this, of understanding that our relationship with God is a unique one. Yes, it will always work off the basis of what is established, the character of God, scripture, etc. All of that. We have that. That's the benchmark. Okay, cool. So if somebody starts going off about things that do not line up with that, that's a whole other problem. But the individualistic nature of our relationship with God demonstrates the necessity for individual effort. Effort and striving are two different things. Effort and work are two different things. Putting forward effort is earnestly asking the questions and then actively seeking the results. Because that's the thing about God. He'll answer your question. You might not be ready for the answer, but he'll answer your question. So in real life application, what I want to leave you guys with is that. Turn to scripture, find out, engage, do all of those things. If you're looking for a place to start, start in the New Testament. If you're trying to find out who Jesus was, start with the Gospels, go from there. Father God, I thank you for your presence. Father, I thank you that you're so willing to reveal yourself, Father, and that you call us, as Jesus said, to come follow you. You desire us to pursue you, and you love for us to be in relationship with you. And this is not out of reach for any person. Any person who wants it can have a relationship where you speak to them individually, Father. We thank you that you've given us your word so that we have the foundation of understanding what your voice sounds like, Father, and that through prayer and from the Holy Spirit, we can get guidance for our daily lives, Father. You do not withhold and I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that you love each and every listener and that they're so wonderful in your eyes, Father, and that your, your lips form their names, Father, and you call out to them while they're sleeping, giving them instructions because they are important to you, far more important than any other human being on the planet. They are important to you. Father, I thank you that they have meaning before you that's eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.